BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to another edition of the When to Jump podcast. Once again, I am producer Alex Abnos, uh, hosting the show in lieu of Mike Lewis, who is still recovering after dealing with some voice troubles. We should have some more news on that uh, pretty soon. Anyway, in this week's show, we have Mike's conversation with Chris Stemp and John Rojas, who are the hosts of the Smart People podcast. And as a smart person himself, Mike made an appearance on their show a couple weeks ago, and today they'll return the favor by sharing their own jump stories. If you're not a listener to the Smart People podcast, first of all, you should listen. But second, you might be surprised in the show to find out how much improv comedy played a role in the formation of that show. That's just about the only spoiler I'll give for this uh, conversation, um, except to say that I really enjoyed listening to it. I found it very inspiring, and I bet you will too. Here is Mike Lewis's conversation with Chris Stemp and John Rojas. Welcome, everyone, to the When to Jump podcast. Mike Lewis here with Chris Stemp and John Rojas, the two men behind the Smart People podcast. Chris, John, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having us, Mike. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. So got to just not no pun intended here, but jump right into it. John, you consider yourself a comedy nerd. What does a comedy nerd mean? Um, I love comedy shows and comedians. So I watch a lot of comedy. I went to SF Sketch Fest for like four or five years straight in San Francisco and went to a bunch of different shows, even like low level comedians, new comedians, up and coming comedians, and just love all things comedy. I like to pretend that I'm funny and I wish I were more funny, uh, but I just fill my life with a lot of comedy podcasts, videos, that kind of stuff. Do you find that doing comedy or learning improv has has effects in other things besides getting better at comedy or doing improv? Um, when I quit my job at Deloitte and didn't really know what I was going to do next, the first thing I did was take improv classes and it was so eye-opening to think on your feet and not really be embarrassed in front of other people. And it definitely helped with uh, public speaking and the podcast and all that kind of stuff. So I highly recommend that if anybody's lost in their career, go take some improv classes. You'll meet some cool people. You'll learn some cool skills. And then hopefully you'll move forward in the next uh, right direction for your career. And when you decided to leave, you know, the, the consulting role, the, the corporate gig, did you know what was next besides doing improv? No, I just knew that I couldn't keep doing consulting, doing work that I wasn't passionate about. And I didn't see it adding value to anybody's life. I did federal consulting and I just got fed up with it, kind of had some health issues and was just like, this isn't worth it. So I'm quitting, not sure what I'm going to do next. And you described, you know, doing improv. Was that really the first thing that, that you did next? Like when the dust settles, 
and you don't know exactly what you're going to do on that first Monday when you otherwise would be at work. Was it improv that, that you moved towards? It was. I I think I quit early October and immediately signed up for improv classes and web development courses online. Wow. That's really neat. Was there any kind of how-to that you followed when you took this jump? Was there something that someone could gain if they were listening and thinking, okay, don't like my job, don't exactly know what's next? You, you know, is, is, I, you talked a little bit about comedy. Was there anything else you would, you would add in there? No, you know, Chris and I had talked about not being happy in our jobs for a long time. It was one of the reasons that we started Smart People Podcast in the first place. And I think between talking to him and just other people in my life, they were just like, we are done listening to you complain about your job. Uh, either just quit or keep going to work. So that was that was the blueprint I got. It was just <laughs> people were tired of hearing about it. Right. And Chris, you, you know, in some ways have a, a bit of a similar story. You spent over six years as a financial analyst at a Fortune 100 firm. And then you described trading the cubicle for the cutting edge and co-founding Smart People podcast. What was that moment for you when you when you ditched the cubicle? What was that? What was going through your head? Uh, that that moment actually wasn't something that I willingly chose. That was my body saying you can no longer force yourself to be in a situation you don't want to be in. So, um, you know, long story short, I was at work one day and I was actually just having a conversation with my boss. Nothing stressful, nothing crazy. And uh, the lights started going out for me. And I, I started to pass out um, and my boss kind of, he, he started clapping and he, he kind of shook me too. And uh, when I realized what was going on, my heart's going a mile a minute, uh, I dry mouth. Um, I was, I really basically knew I was having a heart attack. So um, I drove myself to the emergency room and they did not know what it was. They said, maybe it's an inner ear infection. And it, it took a, actually a few months of Googling and about 10 different doctors, which is just something about our Western medicine, to finally come to the conclusion it was a panic attack. And so that was the, uh, the moment when I realized something is not right here and I need to take some time and go figure out what that is. It's amazing that that is story on its own seems surreal and rare and unique. And I feel like that is playing out more and more commonly today. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's weird. It took me a long time to say anything about it to anyone. I mean, my parents obviously knew, uh, my, my girlfriend who's now my wife, she knew, but I don't even know when I told John because as a, you know, 25, 26 year old guy, you know, normal guy working in finance, driving his new sports car, all that cliche stuff. Um, it's really a, a shock and, of course, uh, sounds like or seems like to, to me, at least sometimes, it felt like a, um, a sign of weakness. And so I had no idea what to do. And then as time went by, I kind of realized like this was just a thing or is just a thing, is just a part of me um, at times that is, is not a weakness. It's just uh, really actually I think it's a strength that my body will tell me when I'm in situations that I'll force myself to be in because I am stubborn, but they're not right. Right. Absolutely. So post panic attack, what, you know, what was the next thing you do? I guess when those things happen, sometimes you have a little bit of a, a new lease on life, right? 
Yeah, well, I, I do what anyone does in that scenario is I suck it up and I go back to work. I kind of grinded it out for a while. Um, uh, I don't even know, a year, two years maybe. Um, and, you know, I, I, I got it under control, but I still didn't. It was It was like getting through the day, right, instead of enjoying it. And so, I, as I mentioned, I worked in finance, saved up some money, and I said, you know what, that's that's it. I can just not work for a couple of years if I have to. Um, and then I hatched this plan to convince anyone I could to move with me to Arizona and not work and just reconnect with like who I am, who we are, uh, and figure out what's going on. And that's when John was kind of hitting the same point in, in his job. Uh, my wife was going to go back to school, so she and she went to ASU for her master's degree. So it, it kind of ended up working out. And my parents had a house that they let us stay in for about eight months in Arizona. So it all worked out. <laughs> wow. So why Arizona? I mean, that seems like a pretty big gap of saying, okay, I'm done with this, had a panic attack under the desk, you know, ready to do something else. And you just head west. Like, what was the catalyst there? It was multiple things. One was I said, what do I really enjoy doing? And that was golf. So I said, I'm going to go work in the golf industry. And if you're going to work in golf, there's about two places and it's Arizona and Florida. Um, and so when I narrowed that down, I said, okay, my parents have a house that they only stay in for like six months out of the year. So we can go get six months of basically free living, um, you know, at least housing and, uh, and over that time, get a job at a golf course and basically restart my life in a career or a field that I want to be in. And so, um, it's not hard convincing people to go to somewhere beautiful like Arizona sort of for free. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that makes sense. All right. So you, you two meet in Arizona and what were you exactly doing? Um, when we, well, so what actually John and I have known each other since we were about 10. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an even longer story, but we were college roommates. We lived together after college. Um, and so we drove out there, we made the cross country tour together with, with another guy. And then, as I mentioned, my girlfriend. And um, once we got out there, we really, here's the thing I say to anyone about these topics is you have to give yourself space. You, re you really have to, with no pressure, give yourself time to just be. And depending on the severity of however lost you are, uh, might lead to the amount of time you need. But for me, not putting a time on I will get a job by this point. I will make a certain amount of money. And I realize not everyone has that luxury. Um, there's some things you can do, but you know, at that point, uh, the creativity just started flowing. I mean, within a week of being there and just totally tuning out to all things, John and I probably had five different ideas for things we wanted to do, businesses we wanted to start, people we wanted to talk to. Uh, and so then we took that from there. We had an early podcast guest named Manoush Somorodi. I've talked about her before, but she's all about, she literally wrote the book about how being bored leads to brilliance. Uh, and I think there is something there. Like you just have to kind of just get that time alone. I mean, you know, maybe one little tip for the listeners would be, you know, do you get five minutes of quiet and just silence per day? Like, can you find that in your day to get it? Because you had the luxury of being out in Arizona and taking that time off being in between jobs, having a little bit of a nest egg, but 
anybody can find five minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the other things I say is, you know, try that five minutes, start there. I know that sounds easy uh, to do and we, and we need to make the first step, but really I think take an extended weekend, like three days, three whole days completely to yourself. No friends, no nothing. I mean, yeah, if you want to watch a little TV or, or work out or something, fine. But I think it takes a while. And I actually, for part of what I do for work, we talk about productivity. We talk about the brain science. And a lot of it is we get trapped in the reactive part of our brain. We get trapped in the fight or flight mechanisms. And when you do that, you're not doing a great job of accessing the prefrontal cortex where creativity comes from. And so you have to take time to tell your brain, look, I'm not in a scary situation. It's not fearful. Uh, you know, it's not the end of the world. And then when you hit that prefrontal cortex, I find the ideas, the inspiration, or just the path you might want to take really starts to come at you. So do you still practice that today? Or do you still take weekends by yourself when you can? Or do you have any rules on that? Yeah, actually, I do. Um, so I had I worked a lot in January and February. And then I took, and we're expecting our second child, so it was a good time to take it, but uh, I took five weeks off. So I, now, yes, I have some things I'm doing. We, we're doing the podcast, I've got some consulting things, but in terms of real hard work, I don't have any for five weeks. And I can tell when I need it because what happens is my mind starts to work too fast. I start to uh, forget things, I start to, like leave my keys places, I, I feel constantly wound up. And that's just a signal to me that I'm running off of adrenaline. And I can do that for months, but it will come back to bite me. And so I have to take really extended at least three, four days, um, if not more, to, to, to totally reset. And then I can go back at it for a little while. Well, this would be cool. So why don't we give that to folks if they want a, a bite-sized little experiment is find, I don't know, a Saturday, Sunday, or even just maybe we start with one day in, you know, an upcoming weekend in the next six months or three months and say, this is the one day I will do nothing except for just, you know, be proactive in what I want to be doing. Like turn off the phone. You said you didn't really watch TV. You kind of cleared the schedule, like no obligations one day on a weekend in the next three months. Yeah, I think that's great. And my other piece of advice, I'd love to hear John's on this too, is Find the thing that you feel in your element. So I love being around people. I have a lot of friends, but what I know is that that takes me out of my head. And not that you need to be in your head, but you need to feel calm and centered. And what does that for me is nature. So I'll go camping is one of my favorite, absolute favorite things to do. I always say, when you put yourself in nature, it'll make you feel small and insignificant, which is a good thing if you're so focused on yourself like to really realize how small you are actually helps. Um, or, you know, I'll go for a really long walk um, and, and things like that just, and I'll have to do them every morning. Sometimes I'll go for an hour walk five mornings in a row to, to kind of bring that stress level or whatever it is level down. And then I feel that the uh, energy and the creativity starts coming up. Sure. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, John, what about you? What, like, would you have any tricks and trap? Uh, you know, tricks and 
tricks and trades. I don't know what I'm going to say. Tricks and something that you do, tactics that that help you. Are you a camper as well? Do you do walks? Do you take that day a week or or those long weekends where you can? Or is there something else? So I have to start off with I'm not a camper. I don't enjoy camping at all, but I love long walks. And I live in Reston, Virginia, and in Reston, there is a lot of paths and woods and just nature, and it's fantastic. I'll take my dog out. We'll go for 45, 60 minutes, and no phone, just so that we can look at things, hopefully spot some deer. I can think about things. So I totally agree with with Chris there. Um, For myself, I actually enjoy being alone and like playing with the nerdy things that I like. Um, and that tends to be technology, web development, that kind of stuff. So on the weekends, I find myself on my computer, just playing around with a new technology, trying to get something, um, spun up on the web or learning a new framework, whatever it might be. And it's one of the things that I find really interesting is it's really hard to get my fiance to understand this because she loves her weekends, wants to be around people wants to be doing tons of events and fun things. And for me, I have to like sit down and explain to her, like, this is fun for me. And it's also a way that I get to think and recharge. So we've struck this like compromise of one day for each thing. Um, And then the one day that she wants to do fun things, I'm not allowed to be on the phone, not allowed to do the technology stuff. Otherwise I'll just do that the entire weekend. Um, But in terms of other tips and tricks, I became a fan of meditation and I don't do anything crazy, but just sitting there for, you know, five, six, seven minutes and being one with your own thoughts and trying to get those thoughts out of your head. It calms me and it just gives me perspective on, you know, the day, the upcoming week, that kind of thing. And exercise. I find that if I don't exercise, I become super lethargic and not motivated to really do anything and can find myself like falling into a trap of just watching movies or TV or whatever it may be. But as long as I'm exercising and bettering myself that way, find that I better myself in the food that I eat, the things that I consume in terms of books or podcasts focused on education versus focused on entertainment and comedy and that type of thing. Sounds like there's a common thread of just being able to separate from whatever you're doing during the week. Oh, absolutely. And you guys run a podcast called Smart People Podcast. You were nice enough to have me on. I don't know if I'm a smart people or not, but I uh, I enjoyed going on. But I I really think it's interesting the the guests you have and the the types of folks you interview. Is there any common threads you see? Are there jumpers among them that you find there to be? Oh, you know, a commonality, a piece of their DNA that looks to be the same as you as you interview different folks. That's a great question. I was going to, I really want to hear what John has to say, because I don't think we've ever thought about that. Because the thing that jumps out to me is I always put a big premium on knowledge. That's why we started the podcast. It was, you know, and this is why I think so relevant for your audience. John and I did not know what we wanted to do. We, we were, you know, and, and Mike, you and I, and John talked on, on our episode. So I think fairly similar backgrounds in that we, you know, fairly, um, uh, you know, we had a lot of opportunities growing up. And what's crazy is to get to the point for me in my mid 20s and be like, I have no idea what I want to do. And all of these opportunities and schooling that I've done have got me to this point. And so what we came up with was, 
let's talk to people that are smart and see if they can tell us what to do. Pretty much that was it. And so we got those people on the show. The commonality I now understand is this. Experts are experts because they have a great ability to focus on a small number of things. They're not always the smartest, most amazing. They don't have all of the great information or answers. They're just good in their field usually. And that was really eye-opening for me because now what I realize, if you want to be that thought leader or if you aspire to that, in my mind, it takes focus and persistence. That's it. Focus on the thing that you are most interested in. Let the other things fall off to the side and be persistent with failures and setbacks over time. And you'll pretty much get there. And, and I, we see that time and time again. Now, the problem is, if you're anything like me, I don't like just one thing. Um, so I'm starting to accept that my great life might not make me a CEO or the world's thought leader in one topic because I don't want to go really deep and narrow. I'm more of a, a wide and shallow guy. So that that's my idea. Persistence and focus. If, if you want to reach that level of expertise, and that's what I've seen in our people. It's funny because I was on a job interview today and the recruiter asked me this exact same question where she looked at our library of episodes and was just like, wow, you've talked to a lot of really smart and successful people. What is the thing that you see as a commonality? And my answer, it's similar to Chris, but I think that really like the grit of somebody that's willing to fail, learn from that failure and keep moving forward is the thing that I see that threads every single conversation that we have. And what's interesting about that is most things that you learn are hard. And really the only thing that you have to do is bear down, study it, keep practicing and keep moving forward. And you're eventually going to learn that, that thing that you're studying. And not everybody's willing to do that. So I think that the people that become super successful just have something in the back of their mind where they say, I'm willing to do anything I need to do to learn this thing. And I'm not going to stop until I can do it. You know, you've talked to a lot of folks who have made it. And one of the things that we get in our community, a lot of people who are looking a lot like how you, you, you two looked, you know, when you were working in your corporate jobs, they might not know what they want to jump to, but they're not exactly happy and they want to make some change. I know you were, you know, a mix of pushed and saying, I can't just keep doing this anymore. And I'm going to quit and, and do some comedy for a while. But, you know, what would you tell folks who are sitting in their cubicle or going to work or are not so thrilled with, with what they're doing right now and might not, you know, like you know exactly what's next? What would you tell them? Yeah, I, this is something I'm really passionate about. Here's what I think. I think, first of all, I heard this, I think, from Tony Robbins, and it's the best, one of the best motivators is fear. And so if you're in a cube or you're in a job you don't like, you won't change anything until you fear the alternative, right? So what I mean is like, for me, it was a fear of what it's doing to my health. Where am I going to end up in 30 years? What am I missing out on? If I don't do it now, when? And that was enough to just say, I don't need to know where I'm going. I just can't do this. 
But I find it harder when you have maybe a, a nice job, a cushy job that you kind of like. There's not enough fear there. There's not enough loss. So it's just something to think about that not saying you can't do it, but you have to motivate yourself. And then the next thing I always tell people with this question is build something that is yours. That is the number one thing. I don't care if it's a podcast, a blog, a t-shirt company, a consulting practice, uh, be a painter, something that's yours, that you're passionate, or at least that word passion gets thrown around, interested in. Because I can tell you that by no means did we think the podcast was gonna become what it has or bring us what it has. And I can tell you, and I know John will say the same thing, where we are today, I mean, I the job I do, I travel all around the country speaking to uh, hundreds of corporations, probably a hundred in a year on various topics. Um, it's my dream job. And you know how I got it? I interviewed one of the executives of my Covey or of my company, which is Franklin Covey, on my podcast. And we hit it off. And I had seven years or six years at this point of interviews that they could go listen to and get to know me. And it was it was an easy process to get the job once I had built my credentials. And so, you know, I couldn't have seen that. I had plenty of things between when we started and when I got this job. But just building something that was mine and learning and, and seeing uh, people's reactions to that, well, that's what got me here. And so that's my advice is kind of motivate yourself, build something that's yours and keep iterating until you feel happy, not somebody else's happiness. Well, yeah, I think there's something there for sure around just putting something to paper. And I love that you said you couldn't have seen it delivering the life that you wanted now. I mean, in retrospect, everything's 2020 and hindsight and all of that. But that is, I think that's really powerful. It's just do, do something, build something. That's, that's amazing. And I think you're right. And I think it was Tony Robbins who said that or or, or someone of that ilk, it's like, you know, fear is the greatest motivator in some ways, because it's a feeling of inaction becoming more terrifying than than putting that pen to paper. So that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Uh, John, do you have any do you have any thoughts on that advice you'd give to folks? Think really hard about what you enjoy doing and what you want to be doing and start very small. So if you think that you want to become a web developer, a data scientist, a construction worker, whatever it is, start small, start with a small project and build something for yourself. So very similar to what Chris said. And you'll find out that if you start building things within those fields and you actually enjoy it and get some type of satisfaction out of it, that you're on the right path. And then you can take the next small step. And I think that people for the most part need to take a couple small steps first and then they can make that that larger leap into switching or transitioning into something else. But if you want to be more confident in making that jump, just do some things, build some things, start small, build up that confidence and then go ahead and make that leap. Chris Demp and John Rojas, the the guys behind the Smart People podcast, Thank you for a very tactical interview today, not just on uh, the lofty dreams of, of doing what you love, but truly you know, what you did to get there, particularly starting with the, I don't like what I'm doing and I don't know where I want to go. I think this was super helpful and really appreciate both of you being on the podcast today. Absolutely, Mike. Well, thanks so much for having us. We really appreciate it. And, uh, and congrats to you on what you're building in your book. 
it's been fun kind of having you on our show earlier and, and seeing where you go. So I uh, really love the work that you're doing and the message you're putting out there. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Check out Smart People Podcast. If you go to smartpeoplepodcast.com, you can learn more, connect with John and Chris. John Rojas, Chris Stamp, thanks for coming on the When to Jump Podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to the When to Jump podcast. If you enjoy the show, do us a big, big favor by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. I know it might seem silly, but it only takes five minutes, maybe even less, and every single rating and every good review helps others find the show. It also just so happens to make us happy to see those and read those, so there's another reason if you need it. When to Jump is produced by me, Alex Abnos, for Macmillan Podcasts. The senior editor for Macmillan Podcasts is Alyssa Martino. Check out more of our other great shows at macmillanpodcasts.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.